Hey everyone, welcome again. To, I've been doing these so, for so long that I feel like I need to change my inflection of how I say hello every time, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, just so it doesn't sound like it's a yeah old radio show. But you know, I can do it. I'll, I'll take over from here, right? Okay, well you <clears> go for it. But don't. But leave all of this so far, right? Oh yeah, no, I'm keeping all of this in. Definitely. All right. <laughs> hey everyone, this is Sean Murphy here with the Badass Batman animated series podcast. Like I said, I'm your host. Sean Murphy. See, if I did this every week, I would know how to clear. Yeah, clean it's that not up. that not that easy, is it? No, it's not. Uh, with me, uh, as always, is my co-host Clay McCormick. Clay, how you doing? Good. You know, I was driving way too fast the other day uh, through a school zone, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's the point of if you're uh, getting introduced, you have to take the conversation and steer it in a completely uh, unpredictable direction. And then it's my job, or usually your job, mm-hmm. to get us back on the rails. Right, right. Well, the rails today are two episodes of Batman uh, the Animated Series. We're getting close to the end. We've only got uh, three, I think, three podcast episodes left, and then we are done with Batman mm-hmm. the Animated Series. Um, yeah. But today... We are doing, uh, I just scrolled past it and I forgot what it was. Okay, here we go. Uh, Old Wounds and The Demon Within, which are uh, two very different but interesting episodes. So, yeah. Uh, we'll, yeah, it was a good week. Yeah, so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll jump right into Old Wounds. Like the man says, give till it hurts. <laughs> and another loser bites the dust. Old Wounds, written by Rich Fogel, directed by Kurt Gaeta. And in this one, when on patrol on his own, Robin runs into Nightwing and he tells Robin the story of how he and Batman grew apart. The story reveals how Batgirl discovered Batman and the original Robin's true identities. That's a frustrating sentence. And also explains some of what went wrong with Barbara and Dick's relationship. It's also a little bit... if I was you... Go ahead. If I was you, because you just gave me the opening ability here, I would have said, Sean, why don't you tell us what the episode is and then have me make it up. (laughs) (laughs) I'll, I'll remember to do that for the next one. I'm never uh, ever opening this show ever again. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also is is strange because it says reveals how Batgirl discovered Batman and Robin's true identities. Batman just told her she, she didn't really discover anything. It's not like she did any legwork there. But yeah, well, there was time you could tell she was in distress, and he gave it a think, and he's like, maybe this is a good time to let it. Yeah, yeah, he thought about yeah. it. But uh, yeah, this this is a, a really interesting one because one of our biggest criticisms of this season is that so many of the episodes feel like they are very light on substance, uh-huh. and this one is the complete opposite, where it's very it's very heavy on substance. There's a lot going yeah. on in this, a lot of a lot of character stuff. Yeah, um, we one of the big questions coming out of the end of the last season was who knows whose identity as far mm. as Batgirl and Batman and Robin go and they answer that question. Yep. Uh, they answer the Nightwing question. Although, it's weird that this one, like, we're going in the order of um, the that's on Wikipedia, which I think is production order. Uh-huh. But even still, uh, the air date order for this is pretty deep into the run and it feels weird just because yeah. 
this almost feels like it should be the first Nightwing episode, but it's it's yeah. like the second or third or possibly fourth. Yeah, like I thought we skipped the Demon Within because on HBO Max it's sort of earlier on. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, you could, I'm curious the real answer to um, when what how do they intend for this all to roll out? You know, mm. were you supposed to yeah. get this episode first because we had gotten so much with Nightwing and uh, with the new Robin Tim Drake. Uh, that when this episode aired as a kid, I'm like, okay, they, this is this has like a, a a a shopping list of things that it has to get through because it has built up a lot of questions at this point. You know, yeah. I th- I'm going to assume this was intended to air at least halfway point, so they did a, they did probably want to introduce some things and then get to these answers later on. And this is the episode where they answer all your questions. Yeah. Yeah. It felt to me like it should have been earlier only because Nightwing's attitude Mm. at the beginning of this is kind of in in conflict with how they've portrayed him up to this point. Yeah. Because he's been pretty cool with Batman in the episodes we've watched. Mm -hmm. And it seems like at the end of this is where you get to see where he becomes cool with Batman after he sees what uh, what Bruce has done for, for the guy. Yeah. He's forgiven Batman. This is how this is the story of how he forgave Batman. But in a way, this yeah. episode's nice because it doesn't it never bothered me that it seemed out of place. It just it can, yeah yeah yeah. It's all a flashback anyway, so this episode could fit in seemingly anywhere in the series, and, and you would be fine with it. Yeah, it is it is fun too because it's I, I feel like one of the other questions in this season that gets brought up pretty quickly is. Uh, how come Batgirl's hanging around with Batman so much after after they're not being yeah. that much crossover in the last season? So they answer that question, which is yeah. which is good too. And when they did the one uh, that I love, where uh, they everyone knows who Batman is, Gordon's going after him. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, they have a moment in a cave where Batman and Nightwing, Night Nightwoman, Nightwing and Batgirl are. <laughs> taking a moment to think about everything that's happened and she seems to know they all seem to know who bruce is who barbara is like the cards are already on the table at that point as they regroup so it's i guess this one would technically take place before that one i don't know yeah yeah i'm that's that's the tricky thing about tv at this time is it this isn't like a serialized show so it doesn't really matter what order and you and i were watching it on syndication so they were all out of order anyway. It just didn't seem right, weird, yeah. you know. Whereas yeah. now, when things are released on Netflix all at once, there's definitely an order to follow. Right, right, yeah. Uh, would you say that this episode was a large influence on your uh, version of Batman as featured in White Knight? Oh, really gruff? You mean? Yeah, uh, it, like top? this. Yeah. This episode felt like, oh, this is what the your Batman and your Batman and, and Dick Grayson relationship is, is kind of built off of. Yeah, there's a really great line uh, at the end when Dick is about to take his mask off and quit. Batgirl is saying, like, he didn't, you know, Batman didn't force me to do this. I chose to do this. And Dick's like, you don't know him like I do. He makes you think that it's your idea. He manipulates you. And, like, he's just sort of glaring at Batman. And I thought that was really potent. Even as a kid, I was like, oof, that's a good line. Yeah, I I find that that's one of the things I find really interesting about this episode is it almost feels to me, I don't know, because we we have talked about that Batman in this season is a lot colder than he has been in the previous seasons, but they really turn it up on him 
in this episode in a way that I almost felt like was kind of uh, out of character mm-hmm. uh, because he's ne- he's always been kind of cold, but I've never really felt like he's come off as manipulative with yeah. Robin or Batgirl or anything. But I guess like in order to tell this story, you have to have a breaking point, and so you kind of have to dial things up. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what makes Dick quit is Batman's putting young kids in danger is the theme. Right, the theme. Yeah. So when Batman breaks into this thug's house and takes him down in front of his family, that's when Robin is like doing the math and he's like, I'm out of here. Yeah, um, it's yeah that was an intense scene. That scene was pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I almost wish that Batman had punched the guy a few times and really turned it up to 11. But, you know, shoving him against the wall is probably enough to freak out his kid. Um, yeah, yeah, or so. Dick's like, "Can we do this somewhere else?" I'm like, "If if Batman drags this kid's father out of sight onto the rooftop, the kid's just gonna freak out even more." <laughs> oh yeah, that's not gonna be any better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, Joker's a threat to society and their lives on the line. And if he has to traumatize this kid to take Joker out immediately, then that's the least that's acceptable amount of collateral damage you could argue. Yeah, yeah, and also. They don't know what the audience knows as far as how much this guy knows. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, putting putting the kid in there, I think, really really ratchets things up into the how acceptable is this really to do. Yeah. Which it does what it's supposed to do, which makes, I think, even the, even the audience go like, oof, maybe this is uh, too much here, Bats. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I sort of like how, It's funny because he is better with children than he is with adults. And as his kids get older he changes it's like right. he's fine when they're 12 and 13 because he's an adult they're not and he's fine with he's comfortable with that dynamic but as soon as they become their own individual adults he's got trouble and yeah, i think that that's yeah. an interesting thing like bruce's arrested development kicks in and once the kid is old enough to shave bruce changes you know yeah i would be interested it's you used the word i was just thinking or a phrase i was just thinking of i would be interested to see if anybody's ever done a uh you know just for the hell of it a psychological profile on batman and his arrested development because there is yeah. there is that that uh ta- i don't know if it's a theory or what you would call it that sometimes people at, stop aging at a point of trauma or something like that right and so and is is that the deal with batman where he is really inside he's not really much Mm. more mature than an eight-year-old in some ways Uh, yeah with his toys and his gadgets and his uh powerful man fantasy fulfillment fantasies whatever um i know there's psychologists that have broken this down i'm sure Uh, i'm sure i'm sure there's a book like the psychology of batman that everyone's read except for us i know (laughs) (laughs) people are like shouting at their computers right now fucking read the book dude (laughs) The um, the most important thing about this episode, though, is we we learn one really important fact that I think you and I knew, mm-hmm. but I think Batman finds out in this episode, which is that his jetpack is a piece of garbage, huh? <laughs> I know. Stop making fetch happen, Batman. Yeah, <laughs> he keeps he keeps using it, and in this, I mean, before at least when he was fighting Roxy Rocket, uh-huh. she also was on a rocket, and he required some jet propulsion to get there. Absolutely, this is like. This is like taking your kids to school in a Ferrari or something or an F1 <laughs> car where it's like he's trying to do fairly uh, uh, surgical maneuvers with this thing that is just uncontrollable and all all it does is cause him to smash into stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh man, I'll tell you, there's a lot of great moments in this one for me. Like I love when Alfred tries to take the rap for being Batman. Yes, yeah, uh, that's great. I love when Dick gets back uh, and the Batmobile's missing, and he, uh, Alfred's like, "Oh, they went for a drive," and he's like, "What kind of drive?" And he starts. Right. I love that moment. I love a Joker wearing a pilot's cap throughout the whole finale. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he goes. Oh, when uh, Batman punches the hyenas or kicks them off of him, Joker's like, "Hey, do I ever hit your kids?" Actually, I yeah. think I do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually thought um, I hadn't looked at the credits when I was watching this, and I th- I just assumed Paul Dini had written this. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's not because it it had like his his Joker tends to be pretty good with that kind of wordplay in a way that a lot of the other ones kind of aren't. Yeah. And it's a pretty smartly written episode, and I don't—I really don't mean that to disparage all the other writers on the show. Right. But uh, it just—it just had that kind of zip to it that felt like it was one of his. But yeah, yeah, it's not. I'm surprised that Dini didn't write this one. I mean, if I was Dini, I would want to write this one. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm curious what the schedule was and what the reason. Because I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Dini and Tim looked over all the scripts and were like, "All right, let's change Joker's dialogue here." You know, Paul has a better idea for a, oh, sure, a quick quip sure. about being a pilot. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that happens, of course. But yeah, I thought this was a really strong episode from a writer that I don't normally uh, associate with fives. You know, like a really yeah, yeah. A high up there episode. Yeah. My understanding of how television uh, s- s- script writing works is that basically... Everybody kind of kicks the idea around. I, I, I only this is this is my knowledge of how it works from listening to the commentaries on the Simpsons DVD. <laughs> so if this is outdated, it, yeah. it probably is. Uh, everybody kind of kicks an idea around, um, and then one writer goes off and writes the script, and then they when they bring it back in, everybody kind of kicks it around again, and then the writer kind of does a polish, and then I think the there is that in a lot of the modern kind of showrunner situations, the showrunner does kind of take a swing at it and kind of. Uh, punch it up a bit if they need to yeah uh so it is it is one of those things where it is one person is credited with the script but it is kind of like uh uh the the child of a thousand parents kind of yeah it's really it's a really interesting process especially with with uh something like the simpsons where there are some instances where they're they're writing jokes like right down to the wire with them Mm -hmm. which that can some of them are easier to put in than others depending on if they have to change animation or something like that but yeah yeah, I don't. I would be interested to know how the production of these episodes works. I don't know if it's in that book that's uh, that is now out of print, but I'll have to read it someday. Oh yeah, the one I have. You know what? Next time I see you, I'll, I'll let you borrow it. I actually I downloaded it uh, from that archive link that oh, okay. that Joe sent out, so I have it. I just have to sit down and, and read it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what did you think about Barbara in this episode? Because I think she's it's she's just kind of been another sidekick up to this point in this season mm-hmm. and they haven't really given her a lot of stuff to do except for that except for that one episode where it's all in her head and whatnot yeah and i i, I felt like this was a pretty good use of her all around because they they get into the the kind of yeah awkward awkwardness of who mm-hmm. knows what and who's doing what without really yeah, getting too messy with it but it's still messy enough that you're like oh this is this is actually pretty interesting yeah she's ready for a relationship she's sort of more um developed than he is or sort of more mature where she's committed to the idea of their relationship he would like to get there but 
Then he gets a page from Batman. By the way, seeing a beeper again is pretty amazing. The, uh, the idea that Batman <laughs> is calling him from a payphone on his beeper is really funny. So everyone in that, uh, Batman is not on a payphone. Batman oh, not? has okay. a cell phone and Dick uses a payphone. That makes more sense. Yeah, because it caught me. I, I looked up and like, wait a minute. Is Batman literally in a phone booth making a call? <laughs> like one of his pouches is just filled with quarters. Yeah, it's just quarters. <laughs> Well, you know, if if whether or not he needs them to fight Two Face, he's got them for parking meters and/or phone calls he has yeah. to make. <laughs> Do you think Batman pays parking tickets? I don't know. Do you think Bar- Batman gets parking tickets? That's true. There's probably a thing on his car that, uh, that destroys, it burns a parking ticket the minute someone tries to. I mean, he doesn't have a license plate, <laughs> so what would the person even write? That's true. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, maybe Gotham City is actually in Portland, Maine. I'm not sure. You know what? There's a great. So we're getting off topic. If, if the Batman Black and White stories, the short stories. If I ever yeah. do one again, I want to do one about the parking meter maid who sees the Batmobile and it's parked in a legal spot, and he's like, "Do I tow this guy?" And he starts yeah. to tow it, and he's really, really fucking nervous. And the tow guy's like, uh, "I don't know, man. I don't think we should do this." And it's like, I don't know if anybody would like this. That's pretty story, good, except yeah. for you and me. <laughs> well, I like, I like the idea of like seeing him do the math of what this might mean in his head. Yeah, you know what, what the consequences of what happens if he does tow it versus what if he doesn't tow it. Or oh yeah, it could be a whole issue, honestly. And he thinks back to when he tried to tow the Joker's moped, and he's like, "Well, that didn't go well at all." And Batman actually saved me, so maybe I owe him a favor this time. <laughs> yeah yeah that'd be pretty good and then you flash back to his boss he's like you got a quota to me buddy if you don't tow at least five vehicles tonight then you're fired and this is the last chance he has to tow a vehicle and it happens to be batman's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good yeah <laughs> by the way batman is barely in this <laughs> oh yeah oh definitely yeah he doesn't show up until the end in the end like is he in the car the whole time does he does the car take off on its own like how would what would be the button at the end uh, I'm not sure. My fir- my first thought is, what if it's from the that episode where Batman and Robin get stuck in the time loop? Yeah. So the car is there, and they are stuck in the time loop inside the car. <laughs> He's frozen inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this is fun fleshing this out. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Batgirl, I I like that she's ready, and Dick switches to like, oh, I I gotta go, and his, his excuse is a really childish. Oh, I promised the guys at the dorm I'd help them empty, empty out the fridge. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's really obviously caught between adulthood and childhood because of Batman. So I feel like the themes in this episode are really consistent and very well thought out. Yeah. I was curious what his excuse was going to be because I've, I've, I've been watching a lot of the 66 Batman. And one of the things that I never appreciated before is um, they've got Aunt Harriet who lives in the Wayne Manor with them. It's uh, Dick's aunt. Uh-huh. And uh, she's the she's the only one in the house who is not aware of the Batman and Robin scenario. Right. So they always have to keep coming up with excuses as to why they have to immediately leave the room. And it's, it's always something like, Dick, I just heard that the salmon... We're, we're snapping in the river. We have to go fishing if we want to get one. And Dick will be like, yeah, fishing. We have to... <laughs> Go fishing now, Aunt Harriet. I can't study, and she's like, "Oh, okay, that's." Yeah. And it, or it's like, "Oh, we have to go to the." I just forgot we had tickets to the baseball game. We yeah. have to go to the baseball game. Yeah. Um. So it, it, they're all along the lines of of what he says in this. Yeah. As far as like coming up with something kind of silly and stupid yeah. to get out of it. I the <laughs> the thing I was kind of surprised that they didn't do 
was, and I mean, maybe this is a different episode and it's probably, I, yeah, they, this is probably a different episode, but they didn't have Barbara do the same thing mm. where, because I guess she's not working with Batman at this point, so it makes sense that she wouldn't, but it, I feel like traditionally if you were going to do this kind of story, you would have that moment where, like in uh, like in Batman Returns, remember when uh, Selina Kyle is over at Bruce Wayne's place and they see the Penguin do whatever, mm-hmm. and then they both have to come up with an excuse as to why they have to leave so they can become Batman and right. Catwoman, respectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I think that's a different episode. I think that's an episode more about uh, Dick and Barbara than it is about Dick and Bruce. Mm. Yeah. Did you? So you, I'm guessing you like the Batwoman, the Batgirl stuff here here too. I did. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I liked that they kind of were more uh, clear about what Dick and Barbara's relationship was. Like they mm-hmm. actually had a relationship. Yeah. Because uh, we they've like I like we said uh, previously, they kind of hint at it in the other episodes. Like the uh, when she still has a key to his sweet Japanese uh, bastard <laughs> pad, his Asian Asian fusion apartment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they've never they've never really gotten into whether or not they were together or what so it was nice to see that they this this not only broke up batman and robin and dick and bruce but it broke up barbara and dick as well yeah you know it's funny side note it's funny when you're young and you go through different phases of toys like in in hobbies so you have your detective phase you have your ninja Mm -hmm. phase you have your barbarian Mm -hmm. phase and then there's a gap where you had kind of grow up a little bit and you realize toys aren't cool but then when you have your first apartment you kind of re-enter as a semi-adult, like, I'm going to buy some katanas. I'm going to go back to my... <laughs> I'm wondering what other adult phases we hit of boys that don't want to grow up. Like, there's definitely mm-hmm. the katana phase. I think D&D actually scratches the, 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 the urge of a lot of nerds as they get older, you know? I don't know I don't know if it's because, like, a, you can draw a direct line back to Stranger Things, but there yeah. has been a and d explosion in the past handful of years that... Is oh, yeah. I don't, I don't let's put it this way I don't think people our age mm-hmm. were playing D and D no eight ten years ago you know what I mean it, it feels yeah. like it's definitely had a resurgence it, uh, my among people my roommate so we have a house and a friend of ours rents out the the basement apartment and he is DM and I've been watching him evolve more into D and D in the past two years and COVID exploded. And mm-hmm. there's a show called Critical Role, which has millions of viewers. Oh, sure, sure. He yeah. will watch Critical. He will watch Critical Role for four hours while they game, and go to work and have a discussion with people who who have not seen it. And it, he cannot stop talking about D and D. It's like <laughs> it's a it's a religion that's taken over his life to the point where I'm actually thinking about having a uh, intervention of some kind. <laughs> and I'm not joking here. Um, because because your tables are all constantly covered in role playing uh, yeah. paraphernalia. Well, I mean, I don't even want to know what that apartment looks like because as a landlord, I can't just barge in. It's his space, of mm-hmm. course. But when I happen to go walk by a window uh, in our yard and see inside, it looks like it's exploded in there with boxes and things. That he's not a very <laughs> clean person anyway. And when he was building his own D and D props just to help him DM better. It's like, God, when he moves out, that place is, I'm going to need to spend $50,000 to clean it up. I know it, you know, <laughs> you're going to, he's going to see you coming and he's just going to throw a bunch of 20 sided die at your feet. And you're going to go down like a ton of bricks. And he's going to get away scot-free. <laughs> There's once where we had a water problem and I needed to get into his apartment to check a pipe. I had no choice. So I sent the contractor in there and 
he comes out and I was like, what's it look like in there? He's like, does someone actually live down there? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, I don't even tell me about it, man. <laughs> Yikes. Um, I think legally I am allowed to go into a, a rental if it's for like a reason like that. Well, I guess mm-hmm. I'll let my lawyer deal with it. <laughs> I don't know, man. You're going to get into one of those situations where it's like, since he's there, yeah. you can't make him leave. And then all of a sudden, you're going to come home and he's going to be just occupying the main body of the house. <laughs> and that's going to be legal for some reason because it's weird yeah, eminent Nicole. domain laws or yeah. some shit or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I was going to get to this later, but when we do these podcasts, uh, Clay, I, I'm starting to notice there are two kind of listeners. Ones who really like us talking about episodes, and then ones mm-hmm. who prefer us going off topic and talking about <laughs> business stuff. Um, sure. Because even, you know, imminent domain is the business phrase. Uh, and I almost. I don't even know. I don't even know if I used it correctly. So. <laughs> yeah, sort of. <laughs> we, we all know what you meant. Um, yeah, there's probably some lawyer listening to this who's losing his mind right now listening to you and me talk about it. But I, I thought I was going to uh, mention this to you off the air. Maybe we should label uh, when we start talking about business stuff in the so you can like skip ahead if you just want to know this part. Uh, if you just want to hear us talk about Batman inside stuff, working in comics or whatever, you can just skip the you know the cartoon stuff and just get right to the chase. Um, I am not going to do that right. because that takes too much time to do in the editing process, <laughs> and I have trouble getting these out on time as it is. That's so. fair, yeah. I mean, or if we lay, if we promise not to get off topic until the second half, so we would label each episode. We do these two episodes, and then this is this week's topic of discussion, or whatever. Or maybe it's fine the way it is. I think it's fine the way it is. We've been doing it for four seasons. But I want to people listening now. I almost want Wes to put out a poll that says, "Do you prefer us talking about the episodes, or do you kind of like it when we go off?" topic and get into business that we can do we can definitely do that i'll ask him i'll ask him to do that and see see what happens cool uh so Um, where were we in all this D &D, yeah i'm done with that (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah just overall i mean i i feel like we we talked about the the what would you draw stuff oh oh the one thing i did want to mention was the ending because Hmm. they spend this whole episode kind of building up batman is this and i you know i do also think you can probably give the way that they portray Batman a bit of a pass because Mm -hmm. since this is Dick telling the story to Tim, there's probably a little bit of unreliable narrator built in because it's his memories and stuff. And they kind of, they pull it back. And I think this is really wise to do because Batman comes off as so overly intense, like more so than usual. Yeah. Uh, you can't really leave it there, mm-hmm. and so they do pull it back at the end by yeah. having by showing that the guy that he roughed up in the apartment has gone straight and is has a job at uh, Wayne Enterprises that Bruce checks in on him from time to time. So yeah. Bruce knows what he did, and he's taking care of this guy, which I think is a really important part of the Batman thing that a lot of people yeah. can forget sometimes. Yeah, that he's 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 so. He's always portrayed as being like overly angry and overly violent, mm-hmm. but a lot of times they forget the counterbalance to that, right? Which is that he also does take care of people and he also yeah. does ch- check in on people, and he's not just a, an yeah. insane person. He's extremely generous and nice and yeah. kind in his own weird, quirky way, uh, but he still expresses that. That's why I love that episode from season one with the uh, invisible stepdad who is harassing. Oh yeah, him. at the very end. Bruce, Man- Bradman goes to check back on the little girl and just, you know, outside her window and he's gone before her mother shows up. I feel like that humanity is so key. 
Because you're right. I mean, Batman can be as brutal as you want, but you really need to balance it with the human element, which is why the last scene in this is so important. Um, the one thing that throws me off, though, is like, this guy has a British accent, and it doesn't yeah. make any sense, and it just feels so out of place in Gotham. Yeah, it, it felt like it felt like he was trying to do uh, an, an American accent at the beginning, and then he just threw it out the window. They're like, listen, uh, Jeeves, just stop trying to do that. Just use your British accent, whatever. Not every episode is perfect. It reminded me, I just watched the, uh, the Movies That Made Us episode about Jurassic Park. Mm. And Sam Neill was talking about how yeah. they wanted him to do an American accent, and his American accent is terrible. So he yeah. started doing an American accent. Then Spielberg said, why don't you just use your New Zealand accent? And so he went back to the New Zealand accent. Mm-hmm. And then they said, why don't you do something like in the middle? And so that's why his accent's kind of all over the place. In it, that movie. Yeah. And as a kid, I, I loved it. Like I knew this guy was somehow international. But in, I, in hindsight, I couldn't remember if he was actually American or not. But it didn't mm-hmm. bother me. It made him seem more... Uh, I don't know, elevated in some way because yeah. he seemed more worldly. But yeah, that's funny because uh, there's so many documentaries about Jurassic Park and Back to the Future. And I feel like I know everything there is to know about those two movies from everything I've seen on YouTube at this point. So when mm-hmm. the movies that made us announced those two, I'm like, I almost was going to skip them because I'm like, what are you going to tell me about Back to the Future? I haven't already heard. Right. And to right. its credit, the Jurassic Park, that element with Sam Neill, I've never heard that before. So still a great show worth watching. Yeah, I... That show is is funny to me because I the the thing that always feels like is missing from those shows is like oh we couldn't get Steven Spielberg to talk about this so we're getting yeah. the guy who worked on the the CGI model for the dinosaur yeah but then you think like then as you're watching you're going like oh wait this is the kind of stuff that I've never heard before yeah that I would like to hear is the process of oh how did they move from yeah. practical effects to CGI. Oh, was this guy sneaking it in during a meeting one time? That's really, you know. Yeah. So there there's a lot of there's a lot of value to yeah. talking to the to the people who capital W worked on the movie, not that, you know, the directors don't. I know, yeah, yeah. Going outside yeah. of the stars, you know. Yeah, like somebody who's not media trained. Like Spielberg right, is yeah. a fascinating guy, but he knows what to say. He would easily fall into his bullet points. Whereas if you get the guy that's not used to being in front of a camera and sort of edit him down, I bet he's got more interesting stuff that you wouldn't get out of Spielberg. I, I, yeah, I'm all for them hiring. Let's interview the janitor and see what he has to say about this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas episode was really was really fun because they didn't talk to uh, Tim Burton, but they talked to the guy who actually directed the movie that people forget <laughs> wasn't Tim Burton. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of, and I'm one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, and they talked to the talked to the woman who wrote it that everybody, no one realizes wrote the movie because they give Tim Burton all the credit. And like that whole episode was like, yeah, Tim Burton didn't really do a lot in this movie. But. Yeah, it's funny because I always, for me, there's three Tim Burton movies that I I actually think hold up really well, and one of them isn't actually his movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah. The uh, the one thing I, d- I do want to mention because you brought it up because I uh, the the listeners to these things always pick up on on stuff that I don't even bother to think of um, and I'll mention it here because I didn't mention it on the show that I should have but uh, you mentioned the episode where the guy turns invisible mm. we had somebody comment on our Rotten Horror Picture Show coverage of the the. The uh, 2019 or 2020 Invisible Man movie, mm-hmm. saying they were really looking for forward to me bringing up the Batman connection, and I was like, "What Batman connection?" And Wes had responded and said, "What's the connection?" Uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth Moss 
is in the 2020 Invisible Man movie. She also does the voice of the girl in that episode of Batman the Animated Series with oh, the yeah. Invisible, where the guy turns invisible. Yeah. Wow. I haven't seen that movie, so, so I might have made that connection. Yeah. I, it's a, it's a, <laughs> well, we should have had you on. It's uh but that's like, that's the kind of trivia that I, I just, I'm, I'm always shocked yeah. and appreciative when somebody pulls that stuff out of, well, out of thin air. You're the, Clay, you're the archivist by nature. It's just, who you right, are and yeah. this is actually something i was going to bring up later in the podcast because um, i was just having a brunch with a friend who's also archivist personality mm-hmm. uh and he was complaining about how it always sucks him in he never actually gets work done because he's always trying to archive more and more and it's it handicaps him <laughs> from pulling yeah, the trigger sure. on things yeah um but yeah it's funny yeah you're the more archivist here uh, and i benefit from your archiving because i don't I don't even have to read Batman comics to write another Batman <laughs> script. <laughs> well, you know what's really interesting about that is, uh, and I don't. I hope this doesn't no, lead to me getting lead to me getting fired from the next book. But um, as as you've been moving into the next chapter that you're doing, mm-hmm. I find that I don't know that world as well as you do. I don't think right. Because but, I didn't spend as much, I never spent as much time there. Like I, I know a lot more about the the classic stuff, and yeah. I think the the area you're in now, I think you have a bit of an edge on me. On I'm writing by myself for the first time ever on Batman, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's what the paychecks will say. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what what would you want to draw in this one? Oh. Uh, the uh, explosion of the jetpack, maybe. Uh, no, you know, I I really like the Joker. I like the the image of the Joker at the end with the yeah. the captain's hat, the Tommy gun, and stuff. That stuff was really fun. Yeah. Uh, I you know what would be kind of interesting? Like, how would you handle that uh, ransom TV commercial thing he does? Because you could do that, like you could do that all just on a screen, oh, or you yeah. could push in, you could push in, kind of like they do here, and do it full frame. Yeah. That might be kind of fun to play with a little bit. Yeah, so interesting. So I immediately thought of uh, the Killing Joke. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff in there where it's like six panel or nine panel pages where sure. they're each frame with a TV screen, and then it's like moment to moment acting for the character talking. Is that? The right book? Am I talking? About uh, the right I think they do that a lot in Dark Knight Returns. Okay, but you I know could what? be wrong. It was, an, it was a Boland illustrated Batman Black and okay, White story. If, That's what I'm thinking. Oh, of. okay, sure. This guy's holding a gun, and I get the moment to moment attempt there, but I I don't do that stuff because I think it's still. I get what you're trying to do, and it works, mm-hmm. but it's boring. It's stale, and I just don't think it's interesting. Like I don't think nine panel pages from Alan Moore are that interesting to look at. Um, and I have friends who swear by it and they love it. So I'm not, you know, judging those people. Well, I am, but, you know, not officially. <laughs> uh, but I don't get it. I'm like, yeah, guys, you know, if I wanted a TV on a, if I wanted this, I would just watch a TV. I feel like comics does something that TV can't do and we should embrace that. So when you start right, to draw right. panels, like this is supposed to look like a shot in a movie. It's like, but movies do it better than comics. Like comics should have an illustration, like drawing a, a character jumping one out of one panel into the next is something that only comics can do. And there's a lot of uh, decisions that comics can make in storytelling that that TV and you know radio and cartoons and whatever can't do. And we should be embracing those things. And when I see a grid of television screens where there's a guy on the TV, I, I just hate that stuff. And I just don't. It's trying to. It's comics trying to be TV. And yeah. it shouldn't be. That's my mini rant. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the uh, um, that's an important thing to to remember. There's uh, I probably brought this up a long time ago, but um, when the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie came out mm. on DVD, I, I bought the DVD. Yeah. Mainly because it had a, a ton of interviews with previous Daredevil creators on it. Yeah. And they do a pretty solid interview with Frank Miller. Mm. And he goes through his process of, of how he managed to figure out how to make Kingpin into mm-hmm. his own character and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, um, the last, the kind of the button on the interview is, is a quote that I think about a lot, which is, um, he says... I got into comics to make them more like movies. I stay into I stay in comics to make them less like movies. Mm. And because I I I think that's a that's a tough thing to keep in mind because there is so much there is so much language you can do in a comic that you can't do in movies and vice versa. Right. That when you try to force one into the other, it never really works that well. Sometimes yeah. sometimes it does. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it's very few and far between. Do you do you get a, a a movie that really feels like a comic in a way that doesn't feel cheesy? And it's kind of r- rare that you get a comic that feels like a movie in a way that doesn't feel like you're leaving something on the table. Yeah, yeah. Like when I hear artists, uh, one artist traced um, Saving Private Ryan footage from the opening scene there uh, and mm-hmm. turned it into something else. I forget the name of the artist. I forget the book. I'm sure everyone here knows except for me. Uh, and I'm not judging that guy, but you know, that's his choice to do. Um, but I, I've always said, again, it's comics trying to be a movie and you don't have sound, you don't have motion. Don't do that. And you know, tracing feels a little lazy to me, uh, and a lot of people. And it's easy to make fun of people who trace because you can say, oh, you don't know how to draw. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I agree, though. I, I Lately, I've been trying to embrace things that only comics can do. Like, I have a page of Bruce breaking out of jail, and I have one panel that feels like it's a movie where it's him jumping over a railing, whatever. It's widescreen. So, and I'm, yeah. some comic book panels look like movies, and I'm fine with that. The next one is a tiny little figure of Bruce, uh, and as he's running through, jumping down through this prison, it's like little ghostly images of him but the background is static, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. when ba- Spider-Man used to do a backflip, you'd see like ghostly images of him and then like the right, final right. one where he lands. So that is a panel that's not trying to be a movie. That's something only comics can do that. So I was really happy um, to have the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, what am I trying to say? I was happy to throw that in there. And then the sure. next three panels are just comic book panels. It's not trying to be a movie. It's not panoramic. It's just a static shot of people talking or him pushing a button and then the thing opens and then he goes through the thing it's just moment to moment storytelling it's sort of boring but it's so clear and i think part of storytelling is clarity uh that those moments are actually work very well in comics because if you're trying to make every panel a movie it's overwhelming and oftentimes it's not clear where geographically where things are um there's this artist i'm working with soon you and i are working with uh, and I love his stuff, but he's trying to make every panel a movie. And he's really fucking right. good at it. Like, he's w- doing things that I don't even understand about why does this look like a movie. It's amazing. But I, at some point, I'd say, maybe just dumb it down a bit and make it a comic book panel, just for clarity's sake. Because sure, I just get sure. so lost in these beautiful images that I'm actually forgetting where the hell everyone is standing, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. I think that's stuff you can get. I, I find myself doing that a lot. Where if I'm going through a script and I'm and I'm and I'm laying stuff out, if I'm going to add a panel that's not in the script, it's yeah. usually something like that where it's just like, okay, I've got panel one where yeah. a certain action is happening. I've got panel two where a certain action is happening. I need a link between those mm-hmm. that to, that makes the storytelling clear. Yeah. So it's like, okay, then I'll I'll throw in a small panel of somebody hitting a button or exactly. grabbing something or or you know their foot, uh, like yeah. in uh, um. In uh, Bloody Hell, yeah, there's a scene at the end of the first chapter <clears throat> where all hell's breaking loose. You know, the yeah. gunfires, bombs going off, and stuff. And I'm trying. I'm get. I'm doing kind of like big, sort of uh, cinematic panels of guys running away from this gunfire, and then one guy's trying to run after this guy. And the, the end of the the end of the page has mm-hmm. to be somebody triggers a bomb that's stuck in the mud and blows everybody up. Right. And I was putting all the stuff in and I wrote it out and I was like, what I need here is a little insert panel of just the guy's boot hitting the warhead that's sticking up out of the ground. Yeah, little beats like that, little yeah. indent panels are really effective. I use those too. Cuz it also it also helps with your pacing, right? Cuz like if you're if yeah. especially with something like that where if you're ending with a big explosion, if and you're not doing a, a page turn, if you've got all this crazy stuff going on and you take a minute to really focus in on something, it breaks the flow and gives you a little bit of space before you hit the big, you know, yeah. climax. So when I got, uh, uh, well, I worked on a comic and the writer liked four panel pages. And mm-hmm. th- I hate that because it you're tempted to make it all panoramic. And that, therefore, every panel is widescreen and feels like it's trying to be right. a movie. And then the rhythm of a page, if it's a drum beat or if it's a song, it's just like bum, 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 bum. Or if it's a six-panel grid back in the 60s, it's like bum, 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 whatever. And by varying the size and shapes and um, placement of your panels, it's like a page sounds more like bum, ba-da-dum, ba-ba-bum, ba-ba-bum, whatever. Like, you know, instrumental music. But it's more varied. So you're almost looking at different notes in a song. And the variation keeps it interesting rather than just like four panel page, four panel page, four panel page, which is also my beef with the Alan Moore nine panel nine, but it's just like the <laughs> same fucking thing. And it's purposefully avoiding doing things that comics can do very well. Like, why are you right. handicapping yourself like that? You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I could rant about this um, all day, actually. <laughs> uh, maybe after we finish this, finish this season, we'll do a, uh, uh, non-specific, rant episode about uh storytelling in comics <laughs> yeah honestly and i i it's a thing like going back to the point where a lot of people are listening just for inside information on how to be a comic pro the problem is we pepper this stuff throughout a podcast so uh it'd be nice to put all of this together in one place just for archivist's sake at some point you know but uh, yeah so many I, I would be points. happy you and i, I have would be ha- tackled so many things over the past five years like i can't even remember <laughs> what we yeah i would about. be happy to have somebody else do that for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um, um so i would, what would draw, you draw yeah uh two things one uh i love really tall vertical panels and there's a moment mm-hmm. where uh barbara's falling from a building and robin sees her from far below he uses a rocket pack in his bike to like swoop up to catch her so you could see how that stuff would be really lend itself to vertical panels so I'd love to oh, do that scene. Yeah. And then I love the scene where Robin quits. Uh, the, from the line where he says, you don't know him like I do. 
and uh, he punches Bruce in the face and he throws the mask down and he walks away. Like I could see that being a really potent two or three pages. Uh, like a big moment like that. I you draw the hell out of it. I know I could sell those pages very easily. Um, yeah. Yeah. So one of those. Do a, a nine panel grid of, of Robin punching <laughs> Batman in the face. <laughs> no. Cut it, cut it up, cut it up and sell each panel individually. <laughs> Yeah, has anyone ever tried to do that? You buy a page and you literally scissor the page up and then try to make more money by piecing it out? I had heard somewhere, oh. and I actually did this when I first started for a couple reasons, <laughs> only one of which ended up being valuable to me. Oh, my God. Um, it breaks my no, heart. No, no, I, no, 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 no. I, I didn't cut anything up, but I, I heard that someone sp- uh, purposely worked larger than standard comic size and would do every panel on its own individual piece of paper Hmm. so then they could sell each one individually oh i see so i would i would do my panels i would do each one of them on Hmm. a separate page larger than standard comic size because i wasn't uh i wasn't good enough with the pen and the brush to to do like the to 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 draw smaller at the Hmm. time and so that's just how I started out inking when I started inking my own stuff. And I, of course, in the back of my head, I was like, that's brilliant. Instead of selling one page, you can sell six <laughs> different illustrations. Yeah. I, I, you would probably not shock you to learn. I have all of those in my basement still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would never do that. And yeah. I, just as an artist, too, you want to think of the page as a whole. And if you're doing it on the side, it's like you're more like storyboarding. And then you glue right, them all yeah. together. Um, it also added a ton of time to my production, which I didn't. It didn't occur to me until right. later because, like, you know, you're doing this. You, you, the goal for most people, unless you, in, yeah. some people are insanely fast, but like doing a page a day is 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 a goal that you want to kind of reach. And yeah. I doing it this way, I was doing like three panels a day, and I would do three panels, and I'd be like, man. Whew, I did like a bunch of stuff today, not realizing that I only had done like half of a page. Yeah, like looking at, if you do three panels, there's these other three blank boxes staring at you, reminding you, hey, exactly. asshole, you exactly. got to start driving faster. Like you're not, you're not done until we're finished. So yeah, yeah it's a motivator. Yeah, and the, and the process I work is mm-hmm. like, you know, I do uh, layouts and then I do uh, layouts digitally and then I'll uh, light box the layouts onto the page. So like yeah. I, I would be doing that entire process three times in a day instead mm-hmm. of just once in a day. So after the third time, it felt like yeah. I had done way more work than I actually had. So, <clears throat> but, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you're if you're like, honestly, you could probably do it and make a pretty good amount of money doing it. But like, I don't. <laughs> Because, because you know, if if the stuff is scarce as it is, if you break it up that much more, you can probably sell the yeah. the panel separately. But I I under I totally understand why you'd want to preserve the entire page as a <laughs> single artwork. Yeah, I mean, I worry about uh, gimmicks like that. Sure, I, I sure. would qualify that as kind of gimmick, and you deplete the market really quickly. Right, right. Buyers might not like it because it's like adding a new element to the market which they've invested in. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, the closest I've come to that is if I screw up a panel, sometimes I'll cut it out and paste it a new one in. That's that's correct. Like I'll t- cut Batman out, and I'm like, all right, well, here's the better Batman panel. Mm-hmm. And with this loose panel I have in my hand, I'll just tape it to the back of the art. And when someone buys it, they'll get this pleasant surprise, like, oh, look, it's a separate little thing on the back. But I, maybe I should make a pile of those and just sell them as separate illustrations. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like could. fucked up Batman panels that I, I didn't use. <laughs> Someone will buy all of them and piece together a, a 
yeah. the art equivalent of a deep fake Sean Murphy Batman page. <laughs> One of the first shows I went to in New York, I had a bunch of uh, loose sketches in my studio, and I just grabbed them and put them in a pile. And I had a box on my table at the convention. I was like five bucks for whatever. You know, some of them are worth more, some of them are worth less. But I sold through that like crazy. And yeah. even to this day, it's been 15 years. People are like I bought a really great piece from you for five dollars. Like I, they they think about that show. I get that people commenting about that a lot. And they're like, you should do that again. I'm like, well, I can see why you would want <laughs> yeah, me to do it right. again. <laughs> By the way, I'll buy those pieces back from you for $5. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. Of course. Um, what would you rate this one? I'm going to go five. Yeah. Uh, there's not much wrong with it. It's not Heart of Ice. Like, it doesn't have... Yeah, but uh, it's still five for me. Yeah, I would agree. I think I think this is probably one of the better, if not the best episode so far this season just yeah. from like front to back animation looks yeah. good story's good character stuff is good it's not there's not yeah. really much wrong with it P- pacing's good dialogue yeah, uh, yeah they've got action but they've got serious stuff too and they get through a lot in 22 minutes without making it feel too jammed so i think yeah they had a lot to tackle with this one but they they, they pulled it off i think yeah definitely um okay that's the where i think we're done with old wounds we'll take a quick break oh the other thing i just wanted to mention about this is uh um they apparently included this as a bonus cartoon on the blu-ray release of the killing joke animated movie which um i guess i can see why that makes sense but it just makes me feel that much more gross about the killing joke the first half of the killing joke movie where batman and barbara have sex on the roof uh yeah i didn't see that one yeah yeah anyway uh we're gonna take quick quick break and we will talk about the demon within okay so i've seen the old junk now can i go play some videos the whole point of bringing you here was to keep you away from those games for one night Okay, The Demon Within, story by, Jesus, Uh, story by Rusty Bjornhole, I'm going to say. That's probably not correct, but (laughs) I I apologize if I murdered that and made it sound dirtier than it is. It sounds like Norwegian pornography. I love it. (laughs) Teleplay by Stan Berkowitz, directed by Atsuko Tanaka. I probably ruined mm-hmm. that one as well. Uh, and in this one, <clears throat> Batman and Robin assist occultist Jason Blood when Carrion, sorry, Clarion the Witch Boy takes control of Blood's alter ego, Etrigan the Demon. Note, this episode was the final performance of actor Stephen Wolf Smith, who plays Clarion, who died shortly afterwards, which is, mm-hmm. a, that's a bummer. Yeah, I tripped up, I uh, came across that info when I was doing my research uh, like an hour ago. Just like, oh, yeah, I didn't know. He and Billy Zane were both in Titanic and both in this. Yes, that's true. I actually didn't, I usually feel like I can pick out Billy Zane's voice pretty easily. It didn't, he didn't pop out to me as that's who was doing the voice in this. Yeah, I could go on for an hour about why did Billy Zane not have a bigger career, honestly. (laughs) Because I was watching the movies that made us, and it was um, uh, Dirty Dancing, and he was up for the role of Patrick Swayze, so they have this footage of him dancing, and he's awful. Billy Zane is awful. Mm -hmm. But he had all this heat, because people were saying he is the next Marlon Brando, and you could see why. And I remember him doing the shadow 
thinking, oh, he thinks this is his Batman thing. And sure. This is gonna, but I don't think his career ever really took off the way it should. And I, I'm not an actor, so I don't know what went wrong. Or maybe nothing went wrong. Maybe he's happy as it is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. In the uh, uh, Back to the Future episode of that, too, they have footage of him screen testing for Biff because he, <laughs> he was supposed to play Biff. You know, it's funny. The movies that made us is also known as Billy Zane in the background of yeah. a lot of these movies. <laughs> At least he made it into Back to the Future, but just not as Biff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't He's know. good looking for Biff. Yeah, yeah. That, that's probably true, actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, this episode is interesting. Uh, the one thing that stands out to me that I know this is a really dumb comic book, comic book nerd nitpick is... One of the like the the second famous thing about Etrigan is that he mm-hmm. speaks in rhymes pretty exclusively, mm-hmm. and I was kind of surprised they didn't do that. They have him do one at the end as kind of like right. the joke before he says, "I sent him to his room," but uh, he, they they don't have him do that at all in the rest of it, which I was a little bit I disappointed. Love that by. beat, by the way. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, uh, this was the episode that doesn't fit into the series at all, but it knows it. And uh, I love how, because you're watching, I'm watching this as a kid thinking, oh my God, this is the first time they've acknowledged magic for real, like superpowers and all these things. Like there's a lot that they don't, I don't think they can come back from this because when you introduce magic right. into a grounded noir story, I think that irrevocably changes everything. But the way that they handle it is uh, Tim's like, what was all that? And Batman's like, don't ask. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode, which I love. Well, it, it was funny because I, I think there's two things in this episode that they've only done one other time in the series. Yeah. <clears throat> they've only done magic one other time, which is that Ra's al Ghul episode where he fights the zombies at the end. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I think... Yeah. I might be wrong about this, but I think this is the only episode that feature the only other episode besides the zatanna episode that features mm-hmm. a character who is not specifically a batman related character oh i see because yeah. like it's it's this one feels more like a justice league episode mm, and yeah. uh it usually if they have like a side character pop at least zatanna they 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 tied it in because like mm. zatara was teaching bruce magic and well, whatever um yeah. But this is the—I think this is the only one I can think of that has like another DC character who is not generally a Batman-related character who shows up. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know who Etrigan was at all when I watched this as a kid, and I felt like it's a pretty he deep cut. Really, he, yeah, he looks really out of place. Like you're telling me that a Merlin monster from the 1500s dressed like a Jack Kirby character? That yeah, doesn't make yes. any sense to me. <laughs> And I'm not a big Jack Kirby fan, so I was already strike one, strike two right there. But And I'm not a Magic magic fan, as I've said before. Mm-hmm. However, I really do love this episode. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. It's it's a lot of it's this is a this is a, a, a fun episode like that. That seems to be yeah. the, the core of this episode is let's just do something fun. And like yeah. the the, uh, uh, the next one after this is Legends of the Dark Knight, which is probably oh, my man. favorite episode of the entire series. <laughs> and it seems like this season they are very much in the okay, let's just have some fun mode. Yeah. Yeah. You and I are going to have a serious disagreement when it comes to that next episode, oh, by the way. So good. <laughs> Love it. It's like when you tried to pull uh, 
When you claim that almost got him wasn't as good as it was because you got all snobby on me all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I mean, well, actually, I think that's fair. I think some people are almost got him people, and some people are Dark Knight uh, Legends of the Dark Knight people. I, I guess I'm in the yeah. latter camp. Yeah, some people love real fighting and MMA. Some like wrestling, uh, WWF. I th- I don't think there's anything less. Uh, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll talk about it. Next. I'm going to shut this down right now. Yeah. this could go on for another hour. Yeah, we've already <laughs> talked an hour about one episode, so we need to probably wrap this one up fairly quickly. But yep. um, the one thing the one thing that popped out at the beginning is that uh, I think Clarion went too high too quickly on that bid. He didn't even try to get it cheap. He just went straight to a hundred thousand dollars, and I think that's probably what screwed him. Yeah, and then Bruce went up like instead of quarter million, he went up to a million dollars yeah, straight up just to, to a million. shut Clarion down. And uh, all right, yeah, yeah. So at the beginning of this, Robin's she's like, "I don't want to be here. There's no other kids here." And Bruce goes, "I need to get you out of the house." And Robin goes, "I'd rather be at home playing videos." <laughs> and Bruce goes, "I don't want you playing those games." And I thought, "Did I ever say I want to go play videos?" No, I can't imagine yeah. anybody ever said that. So these are writers in their 20s and 30s who grew up on maybe Atari and then gave up on videos. Maybe. <laughs> and don't know how to refer to it. Maybe they had, that was just like something their kid said, possibly. That, that kid is stupid. Well, you no know. No one calls them videos. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like the, he, it's cool to see Bruce and Dick hanging, Bruce and Tim hanging out outside not wearing costumes like it's sort of like a father and a son or brother older brother little brother whatever you want to call it yeah um having a more human relationship i always think that's really nice to have in these episodes yeah and it's especially coming off the last one too where it was so much about how the relationship Mm -hmm. between dick and bruce was so (laughs) volatile at the end to see this one where they're they seem to be pretty cool with each other uh, bruce (laughs) and tim anyway I know. In that other episode, Tim should have said, "What are you talking about, man? He just took me to this gallery. It was awesome. Yeah, he gave me money to spend. Like, I don't know why he didn't like you, but he certainly likes me." Yeah, Tim didn't push back at all in that episode and be like, "I mean, it's <laughs> he's he's pretty cool to me. You know, we hang out, we talk about stuff. It's <laughs> well, again, Tim has a much much healthier attitude overall. He seems to be more yeah. bulletproof, and his or his, you know, Dick is going to take shit seriously. He's like a goth kid on the inside. He's just going to find drama. Yeah. Well, I uh, I can't remember. Do they kill Tim's dad in this in this series? Is that how he? That's the whole thing starts. Is his dad gets killed yeah. by two faces? Okay, yeah. and he gets over it. He's not a pussy yeah. like uh, Dick is. Like Batman, I was in the circus. Forget, forget yeah, Dick. And Batman. Yeah. Well, because because I remember, and I, I may have mentioned this in that episode, but I remember thinking that the the most uh, different thing about Tim Drake in the comics was I, if I remember correctly, he does not have like a nobody kills his parents before he becomes Robin. It's just mm-hmm. sort of like he he gets there in a different way that isn't being tied directly to some sort of awful murder or tragedy. Right. Which is, uh, it's got to be beneficial yeah. to him, at least, if not to everybody else around yeah. him, to be the one who's like, you guys right. maybe should talk to a therapist or something. I mean, enjoy <laughs> punching people yeah. with you guys, but there's got to be better ways yeah. to deal with this. I mean, Tim shows up in this universe and he's like, man, you guys both lost your dads too. That sucks. But like, man... Look how horribly it's eating away at them. I'm going to choose to be positive. Yeah. I'm going to let it not bother me. I'm going to try to, you know, he just seems to have learned, like, hey, don't let it take over you. Try to find a way around it. And where does... He gets... (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say, where does that get him? It gets him uh, irrevocably fucked up by the Joker (laughs) that he turns into the Joker in the future. 
Yeah, maybe if he had more of a negative attitude, he would have been better protecting himself. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's funny. I just threw Tim Drake into White Knight, uh, a brief flashback page. And uh, it's like Nightwing's there with the mullet. We've got Batgirl, Batman, and then there's um, Tim Drake, who's you know smaller. And uh, people have always been asking me, where does Tim fit in this universe? And I never had a good answer. So I saw I was drawing the page. I'm like, hey, let's throw him in here. So I send it to you, and you're like, how come D- Dick is in it twice? And I go, oh, that's Tim. And he's like, you go, well, you might want to clarify that because you've gone through a lot of this story. You never mentioned Tim Drake once. Yeah, and it <laughs> so and that, to think- and that specific page is a, during a flashback of Jason yeah. as Robin, so it gets a little bit confusing. So I, I'm I'm like, all right, how do I fix this? Do I have a little uh, uh, square that has a little asterisk like this is Tim Drake? I just leave it at that, <laughs> or do I have? You know, Dick is describing a flashback, so he's like, oh, yeah, there were other Robins, too, dot, dot, dot. I'm not really sure how I'm going to fix that, but, uh, yeah, I'll find a way. Yeah. Well, just lean into I it. I think having but... an asterisk or an arrow pointing to him is like, this is Tim Drake. <laughs> just <laughs> never <laughs> break the fourth wall once in this entire universe. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, just do what you did the last time you made a mistake with a Robin and lean into it and base the entire <laughs> sequel around it. <laughs> Yeah, man. Focusing on Jason Todd, it's like I am hell bent on justifying the mistake I made by switching the Robin orders. Yeah, well, it, it, it's it's fine. It's all fake. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it led to new art, man. That's true. It is That's what true. It is. Uh, um, go ahead. Well, I was just, I was going to say, how do you feel about the magic introduction? Because like it's like you said, it is it is you're really opening up another door, and at, it's one of those things where by the end of this. I feel like you can either go, oh, that was fun, or you're going, wait a minute, how Batman knows a demon guy? How come that's never come up? I want to know what the history of that is. Are they going to no. do episodes where they talk about how he knows a 1,500-year-old yeah. demon man? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think Batman says it best, don't ask. Yeah, yeah. You can tell he's exhausted by the idea of magic anyway. Yeah. Like, you can tell he chooses not to use magic. He must be overwhelmed by it, and he just... I know a few tricks, but uh, mainly I, I stay pretty grounded. Yeah. I I feel like this episode does better what Critters was trying to do, where mm-hmm. Critters Critters was trying to open open things up a bit and get things a little bit larger than life and it just feels weird and it doesn't work and it's kind of gross yeah. this one i feel like does it in a, in a way that's um <clears throat> yeah it's i don't know if i want to say it's more believable but it, it doesn't mm-hmm. it feels less forced i think than than yeah. the critters episode yeah yeah do you as an animation team would you get excited by this episode or would you just go like oh this sounds exhausting I would probably be excited by it because if you're doing the same, yeah. all right, today I've got a storyboard, a panel of Batman swinging over Gotham. What are you doing tomorrow? Well, I got a storyboard, <laughs> a page of Batman swinging over Gotham. Whereas this one, it's like, what are you doing tomorrow? Well, so Batman grows spikes out of his chest and then turns into a giant tree and bitch slaps a kid into a, into a, a candy store. And then a, a cat turns into a cat woman. And like, I, that's, that's a fun week, I think. Yeah, you know what? When you put it that way, I think you're right. <laughs> you get to the change guy, it. You don't have a normal day in the office. The guy who hates drawing cars, who has been drawing nothing but Batmobile tires for the past five <laughs> years, finally gets to draw laser blasts and uh, uh, g- 
<laughs> a- anthropomorphic tree limbs coming off of Batman's arms. Yeah. Yeah. If we turn this series into a series of one-shot comics, I don't know if I would want this one, but I can I can imagine a lot of artists would love to stretch out and play with this stuff, you know. Sure. Yeah. This would be I think this would be a fun <laughs> one to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I remember drawing uh Batman Scarecrow Year One in 2005 is mm-hmm. the first Batman I ever drew, and um, I don't know what happened. Oh, Bruce was, Bruce Wayne was hallucinating, and there was a splash where it was Batman versus Batman. So he's literally squaring off with himself, you know, with fisticuffs and ready to punch himself out. Mm-hmm. And as as uh, when I was 24, 20, yeah, 25, and I was so excited because I'm like, man, how do you often do you get to draw multiple Batmans in the same panel? This might be the first time ever. We've seen Batman fighting. And I, looking at this episode, I'm like, oh my God, no. Batman gets multiplied <laughs> with magic. And I'm sure there's a thousand other comic book pages in the past where there's other excuses to have doubles of triples of Bruce Wayne's, you know? My, uh, one of my favorite comics when I was a kid, because I've always been someone who loves alternate costumes. Like, my, fav- my favorite thing about Star Trek to this day is just the costuming <laughs> and the ships and the communicator badges. <laughs> And yeah, so man, like, you fucking love that shit. Yeah, anytime, anytime a new version of the Enterprise showed up, I would get <laughs> excited. Or if like someone for the future came up, showed up with a new badge, I love that stuff. Um, yeah, you have a whole display case of uh, past Star Trek badges in your office. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that that is cool. I gotta admit. And uh, there was a there was an issue of Batman from the Zero Hour crossover <clears throat> that they were doing, like the big you know Crisis style crossover where all the realities were blending together and the cover is i think it's nightwing and robin maybe in a surrounded by every possible version of batman and the inside Mm. of the comic is uh like these realities are blending together so all of these different batman have shown up it's actually kind of similar to legends of the dark knight which is probably one of the other Mm -hmm. reasons i like that episode um so it's like I, I think it's Nightwing is going through Gotham City, running into he runs into the Frank Miller Batman. He runs into the Kelly Jones Batman with the really tall ears. He runs yeah. into the fifties Batman, and it was just so cool seeing all of these Batman at the same time in one comic. I, I really that is cool. That's, that was one of my yeah. favorite things. That is cool. Yeah. So to answer you your know, question, this- no, it was not your idea. <laughs> I know that now. I was very naive. And I also did a flashback panel where Bruce's parents are getting killed. And uh, I had two gunmen shooting because uh, I didn't know that in the comic it was only one guy. Nothing, is, I grew nothing up has 89. changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think the movie media distills a lot of garbage Batman into 10 watchable hours of good ideas. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to... <laughs> To go too far back. However, if you're an archivist like you are, I can see why what the appeal would be. Well, I, I just mean, I just mean, yeah. It, it, much like, much like there being the Robin Order being messed messed up. There's yeah. the number of gunmen, and also to be fair, there is only one gunman in uh, Batman Eighty Nine. There's two people there, but only Jack shoots him. I, uh, one guy is shooting, and the other guy is like, "Come on, let's go." Yes, so I yeah. drew that. Come on, let's go, oh, guy. Okay, sure, and they sure. had. I had to redraw that the section of that panel. So when yeah. you see it, there's like a weird design. Clearly, there's something missing because there's a weird dead space. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because, yeah, that is kind of a big 
for the comics, that is kind of a big change to to have yeah. another person there. Like I feel like you there's there's an entire story arc built into that if you do that. Totally, um, and I get why. Yeah, they, uh, I wasn't even sure uh, they were looking at the art. I started sneaking stuff in just to see if they would notice. <laughs> I have one uh, panel where Batman breaks into a guy's apartment, and this guy's got uh, some meat weed there, and he's got a few joints on the the night nightstand. Mm-hmm. And I added my own panel of Batman interrogating him, but he's smelling a joint, and he's supposed to be like uh, scowling, like this is illegal, you know, paraphernalia or whatever. Mm-hmm. And instead, I, I changed his face in Photoshop to make him smile, like, oh yeah, this is some good shit. <laughs> and I sent it into my editor. Because I'm like, I don't think this guy's looking at any of my pages because I'm not getting any feedback from this guy. And he wrote me back. He's like, uh, we have an issue with this panel. Like, it's hilarious. But I work for, you know, at the time, AOL Time Warner, and we really can't have blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. And I wrote back. I'm like, okay, no good, man. It's actually just was fucking with you. I was just making sure you guys are paying attention. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And that was so. the uh, last time you worked for DC for like 10 years, I think, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, I didn't get hired for a while. But it wasn't because of that. I know, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> Maybe it was. Yeah, I don't know. Are, are, you, uh, are you excited for the next Donald Shelton Pepper movie? What? That's the, the, the name on the marquee when they come out when the oh. kid takes, a, takes uh, yeah. Etrigan to the movies is Donald the, uh, Shelton Pepper. Yeah, it's clearly a T2 joke. Right, right. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, that's... Oh, and uh, there's Kirby Crackle in the background, too. Oh, uh, Kirby Cakes is the cake store. So both. Oh, sure. oh I see. Kirby yes, Cakes yes, store. Yes. Yeah. And that that phasey circle, black circle, little dots everywhere when there's magic in a Jack Kirby comic. They use... It's called the Kirby Crackle. Yeah. And they use that when Estrogen blasts something or other. Yeah, man. Man, the, 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 the amount of language, visual language that guy came up with that is just like instantly identifiable is amazing yep totally does nothing for me <laughs> that's fair that's fair <laughs> i saw mignola use it once and it looked pretty good but that's something that mignola can easily do and it fits his style if i started doing kirby crackle i don't know i suppose i can make it work because i'm a visual genius of course. Uh, of course yes uh but yeah i just don't like kirby yeah that's fair <laughs> look forward to your Uh-oh. letters um <laughs> yeah you know i see i i the the thing about this for me this episode is like I I think it's fun but I don't think it's much more than fun. Like it's mm-hmm. it's fun to see Etrigan. Uh my favorite part is when when Jason Blood turns into Etrigan, his pants rip into <laughs> the boots that he wears. So those like <laughs> those floppy boots like his pants rip down and into those With those one boots. One pointy toe? Uh, is that uh, just you know his little booties that he's wearing yeah. there's like a little pointy toe stabby thing at the end of Oh, his sure, yes. And I don't know what that is, other than one massive hangnail. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's I yeah, I, it's like the story is whatever. It's a, yeah. a magic wizard battle. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's fun for me, but I I don't know. It's not it's not one that I think I would go back to super often. Yeah, I uh, I should mention I, I threw Jason Blood into my uh, Curse of the White Knight. It was my friend Tristan who runs a local comic shop here. He threw the idea at me, and I at first I was like, "No way! I hate magic." Mm-hmm. You know, even when I was drawing Hellblazer, I just hated the magic scenes. I would just do all the alleyway smoking stuff first, and then I'd do the magic at the end because I just didn't like drawing. But uh, he said, "Well, you can just have Jason in there as a quick little nod," and I'm like, "Well, actually, that makes sense because that's basically what they do with Jason Blood here." Right. Uh, and then I had this quick thing where Jason has been alive since Gotham was founded in the 1600s or whatever. 
And Bruce seems to be aware of that. And I do exactly what this episode does, where it's like a don't ask type thing. Right. But that's right. the only time that I use magic. So someone, I actually had the idea of doing a Jason Blood White Knight spinoff. But then you told me, you know, uh, Etrigan sort of speaks in verse all the time. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to write a bunch of poetry. And I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> if there's one thing I hate more than magic, it's poetry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was kind of surprised that you threw him in there. I mean, it, it makes sense, but I, I knowing yeah. your stance on that stuff, it was surprising to me that you opened that door at all. Yeah, I think that there's value in embracing something that's not your thing just to give your universe or your book um, a, a variable. Sure, you know, sure. if you really love using you know warm colors, every now and then throw in a cool color, right? Because even if it's not your thing, it does help your book feel more uh, diversified i guess yeah so yeah I'm, w- I'm willing to use if it fits the book and if it's a fun little key like i'll break my own rules and throw in a magic every now and then if, if, if i think the readers will like it and think it's a charming little thing i'll do it yeah 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 the uh the the other thing in this episode that i did laugh at for quite a while and i don't know why i found it so funny was when batman runs to the end of that alleyway and stops at a sign that says not a through street <laughs> i know i don't know why clearly <laughs> i l- laughed out loud for a, like a, a couple minutes just at that st- i don't even know it's supposed to be funny but i thought it was hilarious yeah like uh it's v- drawn like you can't get a car in there it's right, four feet right. wide. It's yeah. not, obviously not a street, and it's obviously in a dead end. It's 14 feet deep. You don't need the sign there. Like, Who is that for? It has to be a joke. It has to be. A, a, <laughs> just throw that in there as a, as a joke about the, the skinny alleyways right. and stuff in Gotham. Well, I thought maybe if the backgrounds were animated by Japanese studios, they didn't know what the sign they wrote was. Maybe oh, something maybe. happened like that, but I don't know. I don't, maybe that, I think the... Yeah, for some reason, it it feels like whoever did the storyboards wrote that in on the storyboard as a joke or something, and it just yeah. it just stayed. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would uh, what would you want to draw on this one? Um, maybe uh, as much as I don't like magic, I like drawing rooms with lots of collections in them, mm-hmm. like trinkets. And I think Jason Blood sitting in a, a leather back wingback chair surrounded by trinkets and ghostly image whatever like with a, uh, a pentagram on the floor or whatever i think would be pretty cool yeah like a splash page of him uh what about you that's a good answer i i like that stuff in theory like i i i i would love to be really good at drawing that stuff but that's a jp leone i was just right gonna there. say yeah JP yeah. was fantastic. As I said in the episode where we talk about him, the thing yeah. the thing that I loved about his work the most is how well he could populate a room with stuff because he he yeah. would make it feel lived in. Everything nothing felt like it was just kind of thrown in there randomly. Yeah. And I've seen and drawn pages like that where it's like the script clearly said this is a room full of esoteric things and elements mm. and stuff. And it just doesn't feel that way. It just feels like a couple things in a fairly dull room. Because I think it's yeah. really hard to do that stuff and make it feel legitimate. Like, like, yeah. and have all the all the pieces that you're drawing 
whether or not you want to make them stand out because that's another thing. It's like how many of these things do you want to make clear so they they're readable, or how much do you want to just kind of make like uh, yeah. organized bullshit in the background? Yep. And it's it's yeah. it's tough. Yeah, there's a few uh, JP Leon pages. I think one was in Winter Men or something, and a guy had a bunch of action figures in a studio. It looked like Tommy Lee Edwards's studio, honestly. Mm-hmm. It might have been, honestly. <laughs> Um, yeah, and JP is good at like picking out a few of the action figures in the foreground, but as you get away from the focus of the panel, they get more doodly and loose. Yeah. Uh, and then there's just shapes as you break off to the edges of the panel, which is a smart way to keep focus. And it saves your sanity because you don't want to be doing like action figure, action figure, right, action figure, right. collectible, like, you know, vase, uh, whatever, action, like you just drive yourself. And I've done panels like that and I do enjoy it if I have the time. Yeah. But eventually I hit a wall. Yeah, I when I was doing Poser, which was uh, uh, this punk rock slasher comic, there's mm-hmm. uh, a scene that takes place in a record store, and yeah. my frame of reference at that time was like, okay, so Rick, I'm thinking like Newberry Comics or something, and Newberry Comics <laughs> has so much mm-hmm. crap like all over in between the records and stuff, like any anywhere there's a surface, they'll put some sort of merchandise you can right. buy, and so yeah. I started drawing these these shelves full of crap. And it's like, I was like, I don't even know what to put. I guess it's, it just ends up being like a bunch of boxes because it, mm. it's like you're not really getting in to see any of this stuff. And then so I keep putting these elements on these shelves and they all feel like they're kind of like not really there for any real purpose. And I, I just yeah. I wasn't super thrilled with the way I handled it at the end where I was like, eh, this, I, this place <laughs> yeah. doesn't feel as lived in as I wanted it to. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a trick to that stuff. I, uh, next time we sit down with paper, I'll show you what I do if it if it helps. Yeah, please do. For people who don't live in New England, uh, Newberry Comics is a chain. It's kind of like Hot Topic, but way better. Uh, they sell Funko Pops and comics. Um, it's three times the size. Um, if you think of like a, uh, you just look it up online. But yeah, it's a New England chain. I always love going in there because I find that it's clean, well organized. Yeah, and in many cases, it's the only places you can buy comics. Uh, in your local town or whatever, but yeah. there's a chain of like I don't know twenty of these things maybe. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's it's like a pop culture store at this point, but yeah. it's primarily like a, a, a music and movies kind of place. But they, yeah. it, I, I always the first time I went in there, I was I was like, this is a comic book store, but this is like all CDs yeah. and shit. But uh, yeah. um, they still do sell comics. They sell a lot of comics still, actually. Uh, yeah. Each one is very individually run. Yes. Like sometimes yes. you get a manager that doesn't like comics. So there aren't a lot. I've gone into some, and I get recognized, and they're like, hey, can you sign some books? I'm like, sure. And then I'll go into others in a mall, and I'll be like, hi, I'm Sean Murphy. I drew those books on the shelf. Do you want me to sign them so you can move some more product? And they're like, uh, I don't really know anything about comics, and I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to have people just <laughs> sign things. If for them, they have no idea. Like, imagine right, if yeah. I designed a T-shirt, and I'm like, "Can I draw on all those T-shirts so they're worth more?" Like, they have no fucking clue. That's fine. I, I don't take it personally. Yeah, I mean, but how I many... walk into a Newberry's, and I can normally tell if my offer to sign is going to go over well or not. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm sure whoever's working the the midday shift there is like some guy just came in and asked if he could sign a bunch of comics. <laughs> I mean, I have flat out rudeness of people who are. Um, who work in comic book shops who are like, oh, we don't like people to sign the comics because it devalues them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, fucking asshole. <laughs> I've gone into shops. I used to get sent a box of comics from DC just because it's like, you're working for us. Here's everything we publish this month. 
and I didn't have enough room for these comics. I was living in Brooklyn. Right. So I would haul them into Manhattan, into um, Jim Hanley's or uh, whatever the other one's called, and I'd say, can you please take these comics and sell them? Like, I work for DC. I got these for free. There's probably $300 retail worth of material here. Take it. And I just carried this 40-pound box here from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I didn't say all that, but that was the look in my eye. And this fucking kid who works there is like, oh, well, I'm not really sure how, I guess we can take them. I mean, we can put them out for free. And I'm just like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I was so pissed. I think it was from Forbidden Planet, actually. Uh, yeah, like this guy, I think this guy was annoyed because as the manager, he gets to feel like king shit because everyone else looks up to him oh, sure. as the most professional comic book person there. And when I walk in or any other pro, he gets dethroned pretty quickly. So he got to sort of like pull rank on me and tell me about retail like I don't fucking know. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I should have called back and had that guy fired. Hey, man. Because you get that kind of ability when you work for DC. Maybe maybe the writer and the letterer had already been in and dropped off all their comps and they just didn't want anymore. <laughs> that's true and he he looked at he looked at you and said is this that book where batman smells the joint yeah we got like a thousand of those we don't need any more of those (laughs) a lot of complaints too about batman's anti-reagan uh (laughs) understanding of uh, simple marijuana um i i will preface the story by saying i love newberry comics i go there all the time i've spent a lot of money there so i did that book poser and the deal with poser was it was produced by a record company that started doing comics and their gimmick was mm. every issue of the comic would come with a seven inch vinyl album which is super so, super therefore, cool therefore newberry would be the perfect client to carry an item like that you would think so yes <laughs> um i tried to get in touch with the person who does the comics there emailed them twice never got back to me then i mm. went I, I went into the store and brought it with me and i mm. brought it up to the counters like hey i do this comic would you think the store would be interested in carrying it? And it's it's a single package comic with a with a record attached to it. And he said, and this is a store which is filled entirely with vinyl albums and comic books. And he said, I just don't know where we would put that. And I was like, What the f- what? <laughs> pick pick us pick one. You <laughs> and uh, so it never showed up in Newberry Comics, unfortunately. You know, and if you had gone to a different shop, it might have gone the other way. Yeah, yeah. It might have been awesome. So, yeah. I, you know what? I have a very... I don't know. Do you think I'm a short-fuse type of guy, Clay? Or do I lose it pretty quickly? Uh, I think it depends on the situation. So, th- th- Or, you. well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I would say you're a short-fuse guy, but I feel like... Uh, when when you get to the end of that fuse, the fuse remains <laughs> short. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, you know me in a while, so you know me in ways I don't uh, in some ways. Anyway, I, I have a very short fuse with people in comics who are bad at business, and this includes retailers. Yes. I feel like I, can, I am I can working my ass that, off yes. <laughs> to try to go. Yeah, anyone who's listening to this knows I, I get this tone of voice. I get very serious. I stop <laughs> start speaking quickly like I am now. But when I go to a shop like that and people are like, oh, I don't really know where we would put it. Do we put it next to this tower of uh, records or do we put it on this tower of comics? Yeah. Or we had this empty tower in the middle that we really don't know what to do with. I want to punch that person's fucking grandmother and beat their <laughs> relative senseless. <laughs> I, I just cannot stand because I work so hard in this industry, which 
some say is dying. I don't think it is. But I'm trying my best to do 110%. And I meet these fucking meatheads who have no idea where to, what to do. It's like, I am rowing twice as hard and you are dragging your hands in the water. Like, yeah. I, I want to meet your boss and get you fired. And it's not an ego thing with me. I just hate weakness in the industry that I work in. And I just feel like I'm surrounded by dum-dums <laughs> when I meet people like that. But on the other side, uh, like Batman, I'm not always just an angry asshole. I try to be as, you know... Uh, I care a lot as well. So when I meet an employee who's really good at this job, I will drag them aside and be like, you should be the manager. You are extremely good at this. I don't know what they're paying you, but it's not enough. Honestly, if I needed an assistant and I was signing all day, I would ask for you. So I try to bump people up too, who I really appreciate. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's Sorry, good. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> but, but normally I have a long fuse, but if you're in comics and you're bad at business, watch out. Yeah, and man, not not to keep harping on, on that one situation, but like, that store has kind of like a punk rock edge to it, or at least that's how they present. It's even worse. And the book is a punk rock horror book. That's a comic and a record. And the guy just looked at me like he had, like I had brought him a 600 page uh, fantasy novel that takes place (laughs) in like, you know, medieval England or something with entirely made of cat. Now that I'm saying this out loud, they probably could sell that, but apparently they couldn't sell the other thing. Yeah, that actually. Is. In that case, you would ask for a manager or some or an adult who's not this guy, and come back later on. Like I, I wouldn't have. I don't know if you gave up or not, but yeah, you encounter that guy. You look for his boss. I think. I think what they did was they told me the name of the person who does the comic sales, and they're like, "Contact this oh. guy," and then he never responded to any of my emails. But anyway, well, it's, it's I, don't, I don't. I don't mean to gripe about it, but it was. I. It was the one book that I had done where I was like, "All right, I feel like I know." the slam dunk market for this and i just could not get anybody to return my phone calls so no well, comics has a giant marketing problem man yeah Even all, all the way up like the suicide squad movie apparently it didn't do well despite the reviews they did the same fucking social media blitz that they did for the other suicide squad movie which also didn't do well like they don't learn their lesson like they keep trying the same marketing trick out and it doesn't work and i feel like someone in the marketing should just raise their hand and be like I think we need to market Suicide Squad 2 differently. I don't think we need to be on Twitter as much. I think we should spend our money elsewhere because they spend as much money marketing as they do on the movie itself. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't pay out, I assume heads will roll. The problem is if you get a new marketing guy in there, he doesn't want to be the guy with a new idea because if it doesn't work, he's going to get fired. Sure. But if he's like, what do you mean? I spent all this money on marketing. You can't fire me. His job is safe. So ergo... The industry doesn't learn its lesson. Yeah. And it, it's not just at our level. It's all the way up in Warner Brothers and at Marvel, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very frustrating. Like, that idiot you ran into, that idiot is everywhere in comics, <laughs> even in Warner Brothers and at Disney. Yep. <laughs> anyway. Idiots. It, the idiots everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> for the record, I would probably want to draw something with Etrigan because I think he's a fun character. But Thank you. Sorry. Uh, I forgot to ask you okay. what you would draw. Uh, what would you rate this one? Uh, I'm gonna go four. Four. Yeah. Yeah. I. Th- I think I. I think I'll also go four because I do think like. Even even though I don't think there's a ton in here, it is yeah. it is a lot of fun, and I think it is. The story feels like it uh, occupies the space it was given really well, where some of the other ones feel like they're really you know truncated yeah. and they don't really get a lot done. But yeah, yeah, I would yeah. say st- if I'm if I'm breaking it down, I would say 
animation and stuff would probably be like a like a five story oh, yeah. story would probably be like a two so i'm 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 fine with like a four yeah, it's bad. yeah the stakes are low but it knows it it's yeah it's doing a thing on purpose so i don't want to dock it but you know it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek sort of episode i don't want to be unfair yeah yeah uh you know yeah a high three low four i'm fine with that yeah i would agree with that Mostly, I just don't get Ectrigan. Like, why not read? Why does this guy have to look like a Jack Kirby drawing? Why can't he look like a real demon or something? I'm sure someone's done this. I, but well, I mean, I, the re- the reason they're using him, I think, is because he's a Jack Kirby character, and the fun, the fun of like, the, <clears throat> if you adapt a Kirby character and make him not look like a Kirby character, then there's really not a lot of fun there. <laughs> That's um, fair. Yeah. You know, you, there's various examples of that in <laughs> in modern media, but. Uh, he, yeah. Etrigan's one of those characters that is so much a Kirby character, I think, uh, because exactly what you were saying before, like he's this medieval demon, but he looks like a Jack Kirby drawing with a guy in a cape and little booties. Like that's kind of yeah. part of the appeal, I think. Yeah, it's the mistake's been made and everyone loves it now, so just embrace it. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a mistake. I think it's a design choice. I wouldn't call it a mistake, this- but... <laughs> I call it a mistake. Oh, fine, but I know, I know, I know what you're saying. Though <laughs> it's like the boob window of Power Girl. It just got bigger and bigger over the years. Her boobs got bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. and now you just—they can't even publish her because if they try to bring her down to a B cup, they're going to get slammed by one side. If they leave her at a triple D or whatever, they're going to get slammed by the other side. Well, they so I, Power I Girl is basically dead. I, I don't actually know if that's true because I know I know there's a comic where. They they managed to figure that out by actually having her embrace it in some fashion, like in some sort of like empowerment angle, that I yeah. think went over pretty well. So I, I think that is yeah. that is one of those design elements, though, where it's like it's kind of that's just part of the design for better or worse. That's like the, yeah. the thing that's identifiable <laughs> about the look. <laughs> when I drop women, I am always wary of the, the male gaze. Uh uh, and with Power Girl, though, there's really no way around it. There's two reasons why you're drawing her. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you know? sure. But I have a friend who is constantly pitching DC Power Girl stories, and uh, he's got an artist who's a she's a obviously she's a lady, and you know you got your protection because you have a female artist, so you're less assailable. And DC keeps telling him, "Hard no, stop pitching as Power Girl. Power Girl's dead. Really, it's not the right environment now. Like, yeah, hard stop. No more Power Girl is what he says. That's and he's wow. been published a lot by them, so that's really surprising. Because I—that's actually a character I was thinking about. I was like, they're not really doing anything with Power, Power Girl. I wonder if there's. And now I guess I know why. All right, you know, maybe I'll work her into White Knight. Um, yeah, sure. I don't, I don't know why what not I'd do with her. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> she's actually. Uh, they. Uh, this is this has gone on too long. But my, one of my uh, favorite cartoons that they've done in the past few years is um, Superhero Girls, which is on Netflix. And yeah. uh, uh, the design of that show is is really really great, and they have a Supergirl character who at <laughs> at one point turns into Power Girl, and uh, they managed to figure out how to work that costume pretty well. I I don't think she's got the boob. I could be, I can't remember mm-hmm. if she's got the boob window, but it was like it was it was a it was a good modern update of the of the character that looked pretty good. That's a that's a really yeah. really fun show. I like that show a lot. But yeah. Uh, is this with Melissa McCarthy in it? Is it live action? No, no. It's it's a it's a cartoon. It's done by oh. the woman who did Powerpuff Girls. There was there was oh, okay. there's two versions of it. There's the first version that's it, everybody looks like a Barbie because it was like based around a toy line. So they all look mm-hmm. like the these like Barbie designs, and it's a lot more uh, yeah quote unquote yeah. traditionally feminine. 
Uh-huh. The modern version, which I think is a, the the second version, which I think is a lot more fun, is much much more stylized. Um, the designs are really cool. The artwork is fantastic, and it's like uh, it's just like all these these DC characters at in high school together, basically. So like Batgirl is the new girl in town, and uh, oh, yeah. Wonder Woman goes to that. school yeah. there, and Supergirl goes. It's it's really fun. I I recommend it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think I've seen that on my radar. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for uh, uh, Old Wounds and the Demon Within. We're almost done. We've only got three episodes of our show left. And uh, next time we will be doing Legends of the Dark Knight and Girls' Night Out. Oof, two whiffs. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't know about that. Um, Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, man.